In this week's episode of Studio Inter, we'll be previewing the Milan derby with ESPN play-by-play commentator Matteo Bonetti. We'll be discussing whether or not the game should go on or not, given the COVID situation in Inter and Serie A. This week's Moratti, Moji and Frog, and much, much more. Everything here on Studio Inter, on LaCentreInter.com. Benvenuti, bentornati to another edition of Studio Inter. I'm your host, Nima Tavalli Ruzzari, wishing you, hoping you all had a nice, relaxing break uh, over the weekend uh, and that you're all safe and healthy, uh, you and your loved ones, given the, the, the state of the world. That's not a given. Um, but before we get to, but, we, but let's not dwell too much on that and let's talk about some of the calcio that we hope will be played, or do we? That's part of the debate as well. Uh, but before we get to all of that, let me introduce my panelist, the Semprinter uh, preview writer, Mr. Mohamed Nasser. Hey, everyone. Very excited to get into the Derby edition. For sure. Um, and we're also joined by our very good friend from London, Mr. Billiam Beckman. Good evening. I think I started last week's show by making some kind of joke about my fears that Serie A was going to finish and be um, going to be over by November or December, and a week later it feels like a even more relevant. For sure, it really does. And all the way from uh, Florida, our very good friend Mr. Alex Dono, who covers Inter Miami, the in- Inter's nemesis in the in the Inter game. If we speak that way, they kind of sued your employer, didn't they? Uh, yeah, I'm not even sure if I'm supposed to talk about that, but uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I haven't read any relevant headlines about that in a while, so things seemingly have cooled off. And, and Nima, I'm certainly happy to be back. Uh, it doesn't feel like a regular Derby week, does it? No. But uh, I'm excited to break it down nonetheless. Yeah, and, we're, and, and, and to help us do this, we have a very special guest uh, with us. He has a very interesting and very unique connection to our, our Inter's derby rivals, AC Milan. He works as a play-by-play commentator on ESPN. He used to do that on BN Sports as well, making his uh, studio Inter debut. Welcome, Mr. Matteo Bonetti. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad we could finally get the contract sorted. You gave me the max over 10 years, so <laughs> I'm ready to be uh, be with you guys now for every single week. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> can't, wait to, can't wait to get going. Well, I mean, I said about, I, I spoke about your family connection to Milan, and I think it's really interesting. And, and I wanted to ask you a little bit about that, because um, from what I know and what you've told me, uh, your your grandfather was the vice president of AC Milan. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that, when that was and how long he was for and, and how, how did that, if, like, how did you growing up, did, did that, did that like, like, how, how was that a part of your life growing up? Yeah, absolutely. So he was, uh, his name is Silvio Bonetti. He was the vice president from 71 to 73 when the actual president was a guy by the name of Sordillo. And uh, it was funny because before he got that role. My whole family was Interisti, and my dad actually grew up as an Interista until when I think he was about, I want to say, 10 or 11. Uh, That's when they went to Milan and they all changed allegiance. So, you know, when when such an opportunity comes your way, I think it's it's fine to to switch colors. Um, But yeah, my whole family on my dad's side is is from Milan. My my mom's side of the family, they're all Turin fans of Torino. Um, So it's it definitely gave me the passion early on. I remember 
I actually grew up in Alex Dono's town of uh, Miami in South Florida. I moved there when I was six, and me and my dad would always go to the local Café de los Sport, which was the only restaurant where you could watch Serie A, and it was in you know terrible post World War II quality. It was <laughs> horrific, just grainy black and white. But we still got to watch it, and it was it was really difficult to watch any Serie A in the '90s here in the States, and. That's why it's incredible that now you can pay six dollars a month and you see all the games in HD because it wasn't like that once upon a time. I think now the States is maybe the best place to watch soccer. But yeah, I, uh, I've been watching every Milan game since I can remember and, and then it became more of a whole league-wide uh, uh, job for me when I started 10 years ago writing for, for ESPN and just covering Serie A in general. Once you're in the, the this line of work for, for as long as you are, I, I feel like it almost all becomes work where a bit of the passion and a bit of the emotion is uh, is removed, unfortunately, because I, I do miss being a fanboy. Mm, I understand. No, I get that. When you work with it, it becomes something completely different, for sure. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand you over to Mo. Did you have a question for Matteo? Matteo, uh, like... Uh... It feels that there's a lot of parallels, maybe like a, a year or two offset between uh, Milan and Inter. Uh, we've been through uh, multiple year zeros over the last three or four years, and, and, and finally it seems like you know we're out of the dark, uh, thanks primarily to Spalletti and now to the, I mean primarily to Suning and now the Conte project. But uh, where do you where do you stand on the current state of affairs at Milan? I know it's been a fantastic summer, Mercato-wise, for you. The fact that Maldini stayed on. Is, is this a real deal, or, or do you still have some reservations? Are you still scarred by the last four or five years, uh, by what's, what's been going on? Four or five years? I, I thought you were going to go way back. At least eight <laughs> years, I'd say, now, since 2012, that it's been an absolute disaster. Even the last years of Galliani and Berlusconi were, were a bit of a, you know, the, the start of the banter era, given their success in the late 80s and early 90s, and even all the way to the mid-2000s when Milan made the Champions League uh, three times, uh, the Champions League final three times. But I feel like there is uh, fresh air around uh, Milanello and, you know, even having people at the top of the club that have similar ideas. And even last season, Balban and Gazzidis would often clash based on what they wanted in the transfer market. Boban wanted players with more experience and he was fine getting players like Ibrahimovic and others that didn't really fit the mold of Ivan Gazidis, who only wanted players that are under 25 that still have the best football ahead of them. And when you're trying to rebuild, I really do think that this is the way forward. But for the first time now, and you know, three years ago when they spent 250 million euro for, for tons of players, it, it was all over the place, right? Because there was Lucas Biglia, who was in the twilight of his career, and then Andre Silva, who was a prospect from abroad. So there wasn't really a cohesive identity to what they were doing in the Mercato. I think that's now changed. I think this past summer we saw that they needed Ibrahimovic on that short-term loan because of everything he gives them leadership-wise. And it isn't really leadership in the traditional sense, right? Because he, I think he terrifies his teammates, but he gets them to run harder than they've <laughs> ever ran. And, and keeping Stefano Pioli instead of getting this guy who you know, had this grandiose image of himself and, and Ralph Ragnick, who thought he was coming in as, as the savior and wanted to be hailed and worshipped when he arrived to Milan... 
you just stick with good old Stefano Pioli, someone that we all know, <laughs> someone that Interisti know very well, that didn't come with much fanfare, but he's given this team uh, the, a sense of, uh, of being content. And you can see it with the way that they're playing behind the scenes. They all get along. They all respect Pioli. And they all really like Pioli as well, who I don't think got enough credit being a man manager. So for the first time, we're seeing a team that isn't rushing judgment and decisions by changing managers every six months. They have a clear identity in the transfer market. And I think that this is the first time that they're going to finish in the top four since, what, 2012? I really do think that this is the, the next logical step, is top four, getting back in the Champions League, and then, like Inter in the last few years, being in the Champions League, you can start attracting a different caliber of player. For sure, for sure. Alex? Well, you know, Matteo, I'd love your take on what Inter's back three may look like this Saturday against Milan. Of course, well-documented. We're not expecting to see Skriniar or Bastoni due to positive COVID tests. So uh, if we assume it's likely going to be De Vrij in the center of the back three with Kolarov off to the left and D'Ambrosio on the right, uh, your take on that back three and how do you see them matching up with Milan's attack? Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, color of it in a back three. I still don't understand <laughs> it. I, I really, I don't understand bringing in a guy that you say he's, he has experience. Okay, I get that. A lot of other players have experience, but they also maybe can play a position that they're brought in to play. Yeah. Kolarov was a center back even for the Serbian national team recently. He has not done well there. He hasn't done well the first two games at Inter when he was in the back three. I think the first game is when he, he got caught out for one of the goals, when he botched uh, an aerial attempt. But he just doesn't look comfortable. And, and Kolarov now, he's basically a dead, a dead ball specialist, and that's it. And, and maybe he can play in a good cross. But in a back three, you're counting on him to all of a sudden mark much bigger strikers when his whole career he's marked wingers and poorly at that because he was never known for his defensive quality. Kolarov was always someone who you get him forward, and that's where you get the best out of very good left foot. He's got pretty good passing range. So it doesn't make sense at all to me in a system like Conte's where the defenders are normally playing pretty deep. You know, this isn't a, a defensive line that's going to creep up the pitch. And if they do now, they're going to get caught for pace with two players that aren't natural center backs, even though I think Danilo D'Ambrosio has actually been serviceable at times as a, as a deputy center back, even though he's normally a right back. But it's, it's just such a weird situation, guys, to think that Inter have, what, now six COVID cases, and uh, I think half of them are starters that you normally see yeah. when everyone's fit and healthy. It, it, it kind of takes a little bit away from the derby and the excitement of, of having two Milan sides that, you know, have so much expectation this season with Inter challenging for the Scudetto and Milan challenging for a top four position, and now... All of a sudden, I think there's this this black stain on the Derby della Madonnina where it is overshadowed by COVID and it is going to be a patchwork defense that I think is going to have a really tough time. Going back to your original question, Alex, and dealing with a Milan attack that's done very well without Ibrahimovic. And now Ibrahimovic is tested negative. He looks like he's in great shape. Um, I, I, you know, Ante Rebic had that arm injury, which is unfortunate, but it seems like Milan haven't really even needed those players, they've gotten so much good work from Brian Diaz, the youngster who came over from uh, from Real Madrid, who's very tricky and, and very shifty. And I think he could give someone like Kolarov a lot of problems, and especially in a back three that has never played together once. Mm, agreed. Um, Will? Hi, Matteo. Thanks for joining us, and thanks for your um, your story, Ali. I think that's one of the great things about um, 
the derby this derby in particular you seem to this seems to be quite uh, common in Milan derbies you have a lot of families where you've got supporters of both clubs um, which I don't know if that's quite so common in other things but it seems to crop up a lot with these two clubs in this city um, but I wanted to go back to, to, to Stefano Pioli who you he praised a few minutes ago because I remember when he was appointed I think I know I can only, I can't speak for every Inter fan on the planet but my impression from looking at social media and certainly the way I felt was we didn't really mind that Pioli was going to Milan because you know he we, we had him back in what was it 2017 and I think most people expected something pretty similar you know he, he came into a, a club that was in turmoil just as he was three or four years ago um, I think my assumption was okay he'll you know he'll have a few good results they'll be unbeaten for about 11 games but then when it's time to make the next step you know something will will break and uh, he will start making strange decisions and doubting himself and everything will collapse. Um, but that hasn't happened at all yet. I, I believe 23 games is now the unbeaten uh, run in all competitions. Um, so, you know, I was wondering, are you surprised personally by the progress that Milan seemed to have made? Do you think he's the answer long term? Obviously, you mentioned that they, they obviously Ragnik was, was going to come in if it hadn't been for the great form. Maybe he would have done. And do you think he's a different coach now to the one that we saw at Inter? That's actually a really good question. And there's a lot of ways to go about this. But I am actually very surprised. It wasn't a very sexy signing when it happened, when he replaced Marco Giampaolo, who seemed like a cadaver on the touchline with zero chem uh, zero chemistry with the players, someone that didn't have a pulse on the squad that the players were confused by, uh, someone that didn't have any sense of... I think, you know, you look at what Pioli's been able to do with behind the scenes, getting along with the players. The players really like Stefano Pioli. And I, I, I wasn't even that familiar with that side of Pioli, right? We always just kind of saw him as this above average Serie A journeyman who's been at big clubs. He's been at Inter, he's been at Lazio, Fiorentina. He's always started well, and he's dealt with a lot of difficult situations in his career as well as a manager. But then it seems like the pattern with Pioli has always been that it petered off. It, it, it tended to get a lot worse after that initial uh, first period of excitement where he went on a bit of a winning streak. And it never really seemed to last, which is why he's been at many different clubs now. But, hey, he's come to Milan and it couldn't have gotten any worse to what we saw with Marco Giampaolo. The team was in disarray. They were playing a formation that clearly did not suit the club. This narrow formation that he tried and then he panicked and he went back to a 4-3-3. It was just an absolute mess. But Pioli comes in, and I feel like he's also given a lot of the reins to Ibrahimovic. And Ibrahimovic deserves almost as much credit, I think, as almost an assistant manager at the club. Someone who finally comes in with this long resume of being a winner, knows what it takes to win domestic titles. And the club has looked up to him. And with this mixture of Pioli and uh, Ibrahimovic, I think you finally have a team in Milan that for the first time in seven or eight years feels like they can come back from adversity, which is not something we ever said by them, right? We always said that any time that they faced any sort of hardship or they went down a goal, you could see the team deflate. This is no exactly. longer the case. This is a team that if they're down two goals to nil, you feel like they can come back. And that identity, that character, and just the personality where it looks like they're a winning mentality side is definitely an attribute of what Pioli's been able to do with this side. And I am very surprised uh, to go back to your question. Uh, I think a lot of Milan fans are. And the fact that they were able to fend off Ralph Rangnick who had such a great uh, reputation in, in Germany, 
to stick with Pioli and to give him uh, the job for the foreseeable future. I don't know how long it's going to last because Serie is crazy like that. You know, I, I feel like Milan can go <laughs> five games on the, uh, without a win and suddenly you're hearing rumors of, who knows, the next uh, revolutionary philosopher is in, in European <laughs> football. But for now, I'd say for the next season, this is Pioli's job. And I really am confident that he's going to get this team back to the top four, which is ultimately the biggest goal. I wanted to ask you about what you think about, because I've been thinking for quite some time uh, that I think Spalletti is the next natural. For me, it's either Fiorentina or Milan for him. And it seems that Fiorentina is not going to happen because he he wants to, you know, he, it's not it's not a club that's big enough for him. And it doesn't seem like they could afford him uh, as well. I think Sarri maybe is what Fiorentina are looking at. Um, but how do you feel about Luciano Spalletti uh, coming to AC Milan? Who, which I think, I mean, he's on his last year of... You know, his paid vacation where he's feeding his pet duck, Snow White, in Tuscany <laughs> and, and feeding her cookies and whatever. So I want to he- hear your thoughts about that. I did not know about the pet duck, but that's brilliant. Oh, you didn't um, see it? You didn't see it? No, you no. I have social I media? Actually, Bianca no, Neve. No, Mio Paperino, Bianca Neve. <laughs> yeah, I will send it's it brilliant. to you. It's, it's like um, everything with him. It's art. <laughs> It seems like Milan was linked to him, right? When when Marco Giampaolo was on the verge of being sacked, there was rumors that Spalletti was another one of the names that they were looking at, but that he was simply too expensive because he was still on that deal that you had to buy him out from. And it's it's going to be really difficult for a team like Milan that, you know, the Elliott management, I think they have to be caution uh, cautionary with the kind of money that they're putting into the team without Champions League football and trying to balance the books. And I think that they've actually done a really good job in spending money wisely where it is most important, which is the striker position. But for Spalletti, when I heard his name uh, being uh, lobbied around, uh, I think at the tail end of 2019, I I, I wouldn't have minded that. I've always thought that Spalletti was uh, a very good Serie A tactician. I remember his Roma sides with that 4-6-0 formation, with the strikerless formation, and some of the most entertaining romicides of the last 15 years. But, you know, in the end, Pioli was the more low-budget pick, and I just can't see a scenario in which Spalletti comes in to replace Pioli. It, it can't have gone any better than what we're seeing right now from Pioli at Milan. So I, I don't see that being a switch in the future. Um, I mean, one thing that these two clubs, after you got rid of Yong Hong Lee, which was just good for everyone involved, um, one of the good things that came right. out of that was 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 the the how Inter and Milan started working together on this new stadium. Um, I'm keen to hear your thoughts on that because I mean, obviously, you know, we all love the San Siro. It's 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 you know, it's the it's a cathedral. It's it's the La Scala del Calcio, all that. But there is a need. But I, you know, I personally think that it's it's time to you know cut cut it loose and create something new. What 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 are your thoughts on that? It's tough for me to, to ever say to knock down the San Siro. Obviously, it wouldn't get knocked down. But, you know, the bureaucracy in Italy for these kinds of things is is an absolute mess. Even to go from having a publicly owned stadium where you're paying the, the municipality or the city or whatever to actually owning your own stadium. That's why you're seeing a lot of teams, NEMA, 
basically refurbish their current stadium and and stay in that site. Like look at what Udinese did, right? That they refurbished the Friuli. Um, a lot of other clubs like Bologna as well, the Dallara, that they refurbished the stadium and now it looks brilliant. And you keep hearing all this talk of, oh, Napoli is going to do a new stadium and Roma Lazio, they need a new stadium. Roma's been talking about this uh, for ages. It's <laughs> so difficult to get this kind of stuff done because of the Italian bureaucracy. I want both the teams to stick in the San Siro. This is what I grew up with. My first memories as a child was going to the stadium. We had season tickets and in uh, 1990 to 1992. And we went to every single game in San Siro when the Invincibles of Milan were there. So, you know, to me, the thought of Inter or Milan ever playing outside the San Siro is simply unfathomable. I mean, wouldn't you guys agree? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. But at the same time, if the Serie A and Inter and Milan want to compete, seriously compete with the elite of Europe, they have to own their own stadium. And the San Siro is is it's just not possible to renovate yeah. it. It's so old. Yeah, that's that's know. a good point. I mean, just look at Nima, look at what happened with Juventus. Ever since mm. they yeah. you know, they moved from the Stadio Olimpico di Torino to to the Juventus Stadium or whatever the heck it's called now. It changes name, sponsors, I don't <laughs> know if it's like a beer or something it's called, I have no idea. But They've, they've only ever won Scudetti ever since they've been in yeah. that stadium, which is, I think, a great size. I don't think a stadium in, Mil in Milano would be that small. No. I think the capacity would be about sixty to 70,000. Definitely not yeah. 89,000, but definitely not 40,000 either. I think it would be in that sweet spot just in between those two numbers. But, you know, Juventus now have a stadium that has apparently great acoustics that when it's filled, a lot of adversaries have said it's one of the most intimidating venues in Europe because of the way that it's built and it feels like it's on top of you and it looks like a proper uh, mm. Premier League style stadium, right? That yeah. it's state of the art, it looks like the outside. It would be great and I know that, you know, the, the revenue that you make from owning your own stadium, it is all different. But for me, it's more that nostalgia factor, mm. right? That we've seen Milan and Inter competing at the highest level in San Siro. I know that times have changed. I know that the money situation is very different now also because of the TV rights and how other leagues, it's very difficult for Serie A to compete with a league like the Premier League where the TV rights allowed a newly promoted site to spend 40 million euro. It's crazy. Mm, for sure. Um, before we let you go, I want to hear your predictions on the Serie A. Uh, places one to six, starting with that. Who do you think will win and then the Euro list of the European places? I'm doing a list because every guest we have, I'm doing, I'm putting it together, and then at the end of the year, I'm gonna put it out and say you said this and I said that, and we'll see who got, who's got it right. Uh oh. Okay, so I've <laughs> said before on the record that I can't go against Juventus until they prove us otherwise, but I think that because of the the amount of change that they've had, and what we've seen in the first two weeks with them, that it's tons of turnover, tons of players, you know, flip-flopping positions. And I think Pirlo is going to take some time to figure it out. And I just wonder, are they going to be in a bit of a hole because of it, where they start dropping points uh, in the next few months? I'm actually changing my mind. And I'm going to say mm -hmm. that Inter win the Scudetto. Okay. I'm going to say Juventus comes second, Napoli third, Milan fourth, Ooh. and then fifth and sixth, I'm going to go with uh, Lazio and Roma. So not that? Atalanta in the top seven even. Oh, I forgot. I forgot about Atalanta. I'm sorry. <laughs> I knew that I was forgetting something when I get picked up. Okay, so scratch that. Atalanta are going to finish. Oh, man. How, how do I put Milan exactly. in the top four? Exactly. Now? I actually want Atalanta to challenge for the Scudetto. This is, this is tough, guys. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, let's do Atalanta third. And then fourth place is going to be a battle between Napoli and Milan. Mm. I'm going to say Milan because I'm saying that they're finishing top four. And then Napoli fifth. 
and then Lazio six. So that's that's my updated lineup. Sorry, guys, a, a sleepless <laughs> night, and I knew I was forgetting someone. Shouldn't don't apologize because last week when we did it, Will and I were like Will was t- saying that every five minutes you change your mind because I think the top of the top the top seven in the Serie A has become so much more condensed, like compressed in terms of quality that the more you think about it, you change your mind all the time, and it's it's really really difficult. And that's uh, the great my- thing. About- isn't it that there's more competition mm, at the for table sure. than ever? And, and we actually have what three anti Juve now? I, I think Inter's anti Juve, I think uh, Atalanta definitely is. I think it'd be stupid to discount them uh, from possibly winning a title given what they did last year in the Champions League and maybe even Napoli. Why not Napoli? For sure, I, I'm, I'm with you on, on all, all of those. Uh, to be honest, yeah. I, I almost have for me, it's almost as if Atalanta are the number one challenger to Juve in yeah. my head. Yeah, that, that's actually a great shout. And uh, given what they've done, why not? They could win mm. it all and it'd be like a, almost like a Leicester 2.0. For sure. Well, one of us, Nima, predicted Atalanta to win the league last week. Yes. So <laughs> oh. <laughs> the, spinner, the spinner landed on Atalanta just before you came to me. So <laughs> I went for. No, it's it's really hard, and that's good for the Serie A, exactly like Matteo said. Who do you think will win the will become the capo cannoniere? Is it Ibra who will, is that Ibra's masterpiece, or is it Cristiano Ronaldo's masterpiece? I'm gonna go with Ronaldo, Lukaku number two, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I'd say yeah, I think it Ronaldo and Lukaku, and then maybe some some player like Duvan Zapata at number three. But I still think it's Cristiano Ronaldo. I'll probably be around 29 to 32. Mm, for sure. Who do you think will win the Coppa Italia and the Supercoppa? Ooh, okay. You know what? <laughs> I'm gonna go with a team. I'm gonna go with Inter for the for the Coppa Italia. Um, okay. I think that Inter have more depth than anyone but Juventus. But I also think that Juventus right now this obsession with the Champions League and, and Cristiano Ronaldo being there, every single egg is going to be put in the Champions League basket for Juve. I'm not saying that it's a, it won't be the same thing for, for the other Serie A teams that are in the Champions League, but I do think that this year in particular, Juventus feel like it's it's uh, it's this year or never for, mm. for the Champions League and maybe one more year after that, but they have to put everything they have into the Champions League. So that's why I'm going to pick someone else other than Juve uh, for the Coppa Italia. For the Supercoppa... I'm going to go with Inter again. Why not? No, but you, you, no, you mean Milan. I mean, uh, sorry, you mean it's Napoli and, and Juve in, it, in the Supercoppa. Oh, they, that's, I thought, I yeah, sorry. I, I'm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, we didn't win anything. <laughs> well, no, the, the Super... What's the exact date for the Supercoppa? I think it's in December. I'm not going to lie to you. I think they usually play, don't they play it around like Christmas or like just be like in, in Saudi Arabia? Yeah, I last think. year, I think it was in the beginning. It might have been early January, like second yeah. week of January. Remember we did that game as well. Guys, ask me that in a few months when we see what's going on. This is too early for this prediction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. nice. it's like we don't, we don't know what's going to happen with COVID. We don't know what's going to happen exactly. with, with the t- yeah. team form. So... Um, yeah, let's let's wait on that. Maybe we can do a Supercopa special in a for few sure. months. For sure, for sure. Uh, before yeah, we let you no go, Matteo. Sorry? Just to, there's no confirmed date yet for the Supercopa. Oh, no. No, they haven't. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, traveling is kind of hard right now. And you don't well, especially if they want to flog it out to bloody Saudi Arabia or whatever they have I think it. I think they have a contract with them, if I'm not mistaken, that they that this is what they're going to do for the next few seasons, yeah. to play it in, in, in abroad. But given the situation right now, I don't see how they could. I mean, no. you know. Traveling during a pandemic. Personally, I'm not a big fan of that. Um, but uh, right before we let you go, uh, I, w- I wanted to ask you a little bit. You 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 have a podcast with with Kay Murray, and you also yeah. have a one with our good friends Nikki Bandini and Mina Arzuki and Gab Marcotti, the city are awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
Yeah, so I do my own podcast on Patreon called Calchocast. We took it off iTunes and Spotify when we joined the Serie Awesome team. And Serie Awesome is is the main podcast that we do now during uh, midweek. So it's kind of like looking back and looking ahead, a mixture of both. And it, it's on the ESPN FC feed. It's with a really great cast. There's Gabriele Marcotti, Nicky Bandini, Minerzuki. Uh, myself and Kay, so it's loaded. It's it's a five aside team, pretty crappy five aside <laughs> team, if I must say. I don't think we'd we'd go anywhere uh, with uh, with that squad. I don't think any of us are particularly accomplished footballers, but uh, it's it's fortunately we're better podcasters than footballers. So but yeah, definitely do check it out if you don't already. Thank you so much for coming on, Matteo. All right, thanks so much, guys. It was a pleasure. And bon derby, Matteo. Yeah, it's going to be brilliant. Hopefully, take care. Bye. Ciao. Right, um, we uh, that was uh, Matteo uh, Bonatif uh, coming on to talk the derby. Uh, we're going to continue. Uh, we're going to continue talking. Um, we're going to continue talking about the derby, um, uh, and we're going to preview it. And I and I want to get I want to get your thoughts on this um, because personally, I'm of the opinion that right now, given the infections and given the spread, that right now, I mean, before we went on air, Diavara of Roma tested positive. You know, given what we know about this virus, that it takes about two weeks for it to for the incubation period is two weeks before somebody tests positive. I think the smart thing to do right now, and it's not just because Inter have six uh, positive cases, but it's it's all of you know we don't want a situation with Genoa where you have seventeen players and then they they've already played each other and then they just keep keep giving it to each other. So personally, I'm thinking, I think maybe it's a good idea to postpone the city out for a couple of weeks to so that they go into the bubble. And once you know you know who's got it, and and they're they're kind of in lockdown, not not lockdown like that, but the kind of bubble that you know, Alex, you can tell us more about. Maybe the NBA had and and the NHL and all that, but you know, which is which is really really advanced. I mean, they had their own city almost, but it doesn't have to be like that. But what I mean is like basically go into the bubble, and for two weeks and see who's got it, who doesn't have it, and then you know try to, and after that maybe. What Gravina, the, the the FIGC president, was suggesting that maybe have like regional playoffs, and then whoever wins those goes up, and, and, you, and you do it this way because this isn't going away, and all the cases are increasing, and we can have a situation. I mean, the players, as some people say, they're healthy and all that, but there are people working in football, and they have families, and you could be a carrier and not even know it, and it's kind of a little bit like Russian roulette, uh, and and that, I mean that's my 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 opinion. I think we should. We should chill a little bit here because the alternative to that, the way I see it, is all of a sudden all the players in the city have it and you got to shut the league down indefinitely. I mean, you, 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 this is a difficult situation, no matter how you look at it. Um, Alex? Yeah, um, it would be smart, I believe, to do what you're describing and kind of hit the pause button for a couple of weeks and take inventory and, and isolate everyone because... You know, I, I know that no one wants to stop games at any point, but wouldn't it be better to stop it for a couple of weeks and get some semblance of control over the situation so that you don't have to shut it all down, you know, for, for longer than a couple of weeks later on? Because, uh, you know, the bottom line is I, I know that the primary reason why they're so hesitant to shut it down in any capacity is because you don't want to cost yourselves millions of euros, right? You don't want to cost these teams a lot of money by shutting it down, but we clearly see, you know, a, a problem that, that is snowballing a bit and you don't want it to completely avalanche. Um, I think some sort of a bubble or at least regional bubbles 
you know, where, where players and staff are, are, you know, essentially in, in quarantine, getting tested constantly, and you make sure anyone comes into contact with them is, is tested and negative. Uh, that, that's the best way to make this work. I mean, you touched upon the NBA bubble. Um, I think it'd probably be more difficult to do something like that for Serie A. I mean, first, because the bureaucracy just in Italy and in that league particularly. So, you know, what the NBA did was, you know, they, they put every team, uh, every every staff member in the traveling party, every player, of course, together in, in one spot, in one cluster of hotels in Disney World. And, and that was their quarantine, right? I mean, they were, everyone was, was tested positive. They weren't coming into contact with outsiders. And so, yeah, they were able to get through, you know, a late season and an entire postseason without any new infections because it was impossible for any new infection to come in, right? Because the, the way that it's working right now um, in world football, and it's unfortunate that something that makes this virus so complicated is that anytime you think you have isolated a problem where one player shows up to training, you test him, he's positive, you're probably thinking, oh, great, we're going to isolate this one player who tested positive, everyone else tested negative, they're fine. But no, two, three days later, you see you know, two, three, four, and in Inter's case, five additional players test positive you know, days afterwards who were not positive the first day because the infection just doesn't manifest instantly. For some people, it takes more time with the incubation period. So you're facing a nightmare. I mean, uh, you know, honestly, I, I do believe that uh, that the Derby should be postponed. I don't know if it will be postponed because they don't want to do it. But, um, you know, I, I know that right now our understanding is there are six Inter players who are positive and, and will not be on the pitch on Saturday. But are we really sure that there are not there are not exactly. others, you know, where, where the infection might be, you know, currently brewing but not showing up positive? So the idea of letting these teams play each other and, and you know, potentially infect others to me sounds like a nightmare. And I, and I think that we need to let this thing breathe and, and pause it for a couple of weeks before we move forward. Mm, that's uh, I agree. Mo, do you agree or disagree? Yeah, look, uh, you, you, you don't want to be asking me uh, if you want this to be a politically correct. Uh, <laughs> really, like I have uh, extremely, uh, extremely uh, different uh, views on, on on how the whole thing should be treated. But uh, no, I, I certainly don't think that uh, that uh, that uh, it, if this in fact is uh, a thing that's not going away, then how long are we going to keep on postponing things for? Um, there needs to be a protocol, and the protocol has to be put in place. And it seems like the protocol was in place. And things, I mean, you know, shit happens, uh, and we have to we have to move on. You know, uh, it's not like uh, life is uh, all all other infectious diseases in the world have decided to hide away while uh, take COVID. A pause. Uh, no, no, yeah, they take haven't. A pause. <laughs> they're not on leave. You know, the people still get. Uh, no, they're not on it, holiday. <laughs> Yeah, so 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 this is my uh, this is my opinion. You know, uh, I I think that uh, much has been made. Certainly, there there was a certain point in time when when this was a very serious thing, and it seemed like it was a the prudent thing to do was to take drastic measures. But uh, there comes a point in time when we have to say, look, uh, all these people that keep getting these numbers, you know, these uh, quote unquote numbers and these cases and whatever, they're all fine. They they all seem to be brushing it off and. Uh, so at what expense? At what expense? We're talking about people's families, but at what? Uh, what about these families' livelihoods? What about the the, the kids? Uh, you know, the kids' livelihoods, uh, their parents' livelihoods, etc. You know, it's it's not like we're 
it's football is no longer just a, a frivolous uh, entertainment uh, antic. You know, it's 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 an entire industry that uh, recruits uh, thousands and hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people uh, in 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 countries and and tens of millions internationally. You know, so. Uh, when, 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 and and this isn't just about about football or or the Serie A or the Derby, but in general, you know, until when are we supposed to say, all right, this is it, we need to move on and 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 accept things as they are and 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 just uh, get on with with things, you know, because it's not it's not for free, you know. No, all, all no, these everything comes at a cost. Yeah, everything. All these delays, suspensions, they're 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 not for free, and and they're not. And and they do affect livelihoods, and they do affect health, and they do affect, uh, you know, families generationally, and 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 in 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 and they have impacts that have that are currently, no one no one seems to be taking care of uh, or, or or note of uh, what those potential potential impacts might be, and and how they can affect not just one, two, or three generations. I, I mean, I've seen this firsthand with my kids during the the earlier part of the year when they were homeschooled, and how how that four or five months uh, affected their social. Uh, their ability to interact socially with other people, to learn, etc. So, so this comes, this stuff comes at a price and at a very, a very heavy price for many, many people. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm of the camp that, uh, you know what, uh, we need to move on. So, yeah. Will, where are you? Well, uh, every every solution at the moment feels like the wrong option. That's the problem we're in, um, because mm. there's such a that's a, such a huge obvious downside. It seems to all of them. You know, if you press ahead, like. Mo is advocating and you you play this match uh, with with cases sort of starting to creep up you could end up with a disastrous domino effect that causes even more serious problems in the in the next few weeks when whereby you're not able to play hardly any matches um, but if you stop and you take two weeks out then I think even that in itself means you can't complete the season as it as it should be done in you know in a 38 game season because there are already no spare dates as it is with the Euros coming up next year. So, you know, that's going to, if you that's do that. so poorly planned. I think, that, that, uh, oh, yeah, so th that's the problem. You know, this is a season where we are playing the same number of games across all competitions, but with a month left, you know, no games have been taken out. <laughs> so if you then pause for another two weeks, I don't see, I don't see how you can get it finished in time and hope to have the Euros next summer. And, you know, if we've just had this, uh, absolutely absurd idea to play an international break in October, then clearly everyone's Ugh. still going full steam ahead towards the Euros. So there's a problem there as well. There's also a problem with, you know, um, uh, the financial implications of, of, of postponing things, because at the moment there are there are several clubs who, if what we're reading in the media is to believe, are struggling to stand on two legs at the moment. You know, they have no liquidity, uh, obviously no season ticket holders, sponsors are down, they haven't got match day revenue off this match then that would reinforce other clubs to say that they want to not play in the same situation you then have a domino effect in terms of postponements and everything falls down you know it's really hard at the moment to see how how this season finishes properly but you know mm. I, I do think you know we don't we ha there is a protocol in place it's an extreme protocol because 13 um, 13 players who have a shirt number is half your squad that is an absolutely huge number of absentees to be playing a lot to be playing on with when you've got matches every but you know we're in a situation we're in a state of emergency at the moment um the numbers around europe are a testament to that um we've just had some some new and um 
restrictions announced here in the UK um, today on Monday because cases are going up here. You know, so if you if you don't stick to this protocol, then what was the point in making it? You know, I think people must have known when they didn't lock people down in a bubble a couple of months ago that this was possible. Um, so, you know, I, I personally don't, my instinct is I don't want the derby to be postponed because at that point, you know, this league season will finish in 2026 if we're lucky. <laughs> you know, we've already had, you've already had the event of Snapley scandal where, you know, clearly the, the, the Lego were not prepared for that and they've seen their own protocol basically trampled all over. If this, if this match is postponed as well, despite, you know, neither of the conditions being, not the conditions being met for an automatic postponement, which is uh, having 10 or more positive cases within a space of seven days, which at the moment Inter don't have, then, you know, I don't, I think you, you will descend into even more chaos. But I do have sympathy with the, um, because ultimately, you know, that, that's, the, that's my sporting hat on. But with my sort of human public health hat on, I, I'm very worried that, you know, Inter have six positive coronavirus cases, you know, forget, get into the league season, you know, they've all got, they've all got families who they're going with. Well, you know. Exactly. So, you know, what do you do? Um, I think what will happen is that the match will be played at the moment because I don't, I think that the, the league will probably resist any uh, opposition to, to playing this match simply because of the, you know, the calendar chaos that it would create. Um, incidentally, the, I think the Correa de Sera reported today that Inter are not intending to, to, to request a postponement. They are going to, they don't want to create any more chaos. Um, but you can see that this is a very fast evolving situation. Um, I think Republica reported this morning that there was a meeting with um, the 20, uh, 20 medics from all the Serie A clubs of so the chief medical staff. And uh, <laughs> predictably, according to a report in Calcio Finanza, uh, the meeting between the medical staff of the 20 clubs did not produce any useful proposals, <laughs> which I'm really surprised by. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Imagine at the that. moment, if you're asking what I think should happen, I think while I'm uncomfortable, I think the right thing is still to go ahead with this match. But as I said, you know, if what happens if we have more cases between now and and Saturday? I don't know. I think in, in any case, this will be a season that for one reason or another, be it for a change in format or be it because half the matches were played with decimated squads, um, this will be a, a season that will be unlike any other. And the the maybe, you know, we all got... Um, hot under the collar about asterisks, asterisks last season when <laughs> lockdown happened, but perhaps I think this is this is going to be the asterisk this, season for I one reason or say, another. This this is going to be the asterisk season because last season, I mean, most of it was twenty seventy five percent of it was played already. It was just about completing it. Now is this is the asterisk uh, asterisk season for sure. Anyway, uh, speaking of how the game, well, let's let's assume we don't know what's going to happen. No one knows what's going to happen. Twenty twenty is an insane calendar year, um, so. Let's just under, operate under the assumption that the match is going to be played, and under that assumption, what what kind of game do you expect? Because I, with that back three, the that nightmare back three, and then you have Ibrahimovic coming back, and you have Rebic probably coming back. All these Milan play. I think Milan are going to mop the floor with Inter. To be perfectly honest with you, that back three, and then you have a midfield that is kind of depleted, and you have players who won't arrive in Milan, who are on international duty halfway around the world, they won't arrive in Milan until Thursday. And then you have Friday, and then you have the Derby on Saturday. I don't... I honestly think this could get ugly really fast, really, really badly for Inter. I really, really think so. It does not look good at all. 
Uh, I, I'm, I take it Mr. Mr. Positivity has a different take. <laughs> no, uh, look, I, I, I think for, uh, ultimately we're not going to lose the derby, but I don't think it's going to be a... Uh, it's, it's, yeah, like e even the most optimistic of us can't really predict, uh, predict the derby going uh, in the way well. of, the, of the last <laughs> few years. Yeah, exactly. But I, I don't think we're going to lose. I, I, I don't think so. I think uh, Inter will go into the match with the lighter load on their shoulders. We don't have a, an unbeaten uh, run to extend. We don't have a chip on our shoulders vis-a-vis -vis Milan. We have nothing really to prove. We're the ones with the decimated squad and the and uh, the, the the defense on uh, crutches. So I think uh, psychologically, Inter go into the into the match feeling a bit lighter, uh, and maybe that could be an important uh, an important reason as to how the match is going to be played. Mm. What about you, Alex? I'm going to be a little bit more Mo than Nima on this one. Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to be completely optimistic. Uh, I, I, I'm not predicting Inter to win the match, but I'm also not predicting Inter to lose. Um, uh, I, I at full strength, uh, I, I would have seen Inter winning this one. But you know, given given the back line and the struggles, it's why I asked Matteo about it because I'm I'm not too certainly not optimistic in a clean sheet. That's not going to happen. Uh, but. I, I'm thinking more in the lines of a 2-2. Uh, yeah, I do think that Inter has an, enough quality on the pitch, even despite the back line, to really create problems for Milan. I think, to me, uh, the matchup between Hakimi and Teo Hernandez, that, that in itself is going to be worth the price of admission. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch <laughs> the two of them. And, of course, we, we know the quality that Inter has up front uh, with you know with Lukaku and Lautaro, and they expect to see Alexis Sanchez in the game at some point. So... Um, I, I think it's going to be uh, obviously not going to be the the derby we expected with all the absences we're going to endure, but uh, I, I think it's going to be two two and it should be pretty entertaining. Will, where are you? Are you more Mo or more Nima on this one? Uh, I'm more Alex. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't I don't see a, a disaster scenario. Um, thankfully, you know, I, I, it's interesting what um, what was just said about. Uh, Milan potentially having more pressure on them because they haven't got any um, any big absentees. Obviously, Ibrahimovic has has recovered from the virus, so he will be available. Um, that that could play into Inter's hands. You could see a sort of a siege mentality type uh, scenario where where Conte sort of tries to play everything down, but within the dressing room, everyone um, you know they're sort of a do it for those who are out type scenario. That that could happen. You know, I think that predicting the derby is always. Uh, is always pretty impossible. We always go round and round in circles before these matches about um, who's in better form. It feels like most of the last few derbies over the last few years, Milan have been in a better in in a better moment, as the Italians would say. And yet, in, we've won most of them. So <laughs> uh, I think it's certainly not beyond the realms of possibility that we win this one as well. Um, I think our squad, our options are not weaker than Milan's just because of these absentees. You know. Um, I think the bigger problem for me is uh, obviously the the back three is not is not ideal with Kolarov uh, on that side, but um, it's almost more the, the the substitutions that I think is is a bigger issue because the the predicted eleven that Gazetta have, have got in their paper today to me looks still looks pretty pretty damn strong and good enough to win the match. Um, so, but it's it's about having you know we've all been talking about the advantage of having five substitutions at the start of the season. That advantage on Saturday will not be will not be there. Um, so uh, that that's um, obviously a, a negative point. Obviously, we haven't got Stefano Sensi either in midfield. Um, yeah, he's red card. So we've got four out of eight um, first-team midfielders available. 
Um, so uh, that's that's a problem. Uh, that could be an, an issue in the second half. Um, I fully agree with what Alex but, said about um, Teo Hernandez and Hakimi. That's going to be a lot of fun. But, you know, I this team is, is still good enough to get a result. And I, I think I'm not frightened necessarily. I think it's obviously a lot harder than it, it would have been in, in, in uh, an ideal scenario. But, you know, if we're thinking about... Um, the damage that these cases could do. You know, we have to see how many are back for the, the first Champions League match the week after. That could be well, a bigger exactly, issue. Exactly, exactly. Because and that's that's one game out of six. This is yeah. one game out of 38. So the, mm. the margin for error is, obviously, you don't want to lose a derby. But obviously, um, before I forget, by the way, there is a small chance that Bastoni is, is able to play. Um, because Well, this, he's got to do two negative tests. Well, he's only, I believe he's only got to do one now. Um, no. Because the, no. So what I was reading today is that there's, a, I don't know if this has been confirmed or not, but there's a, uh, the Gazetta this morning said that he only needs one negative test um, and he needs a 10-day quarantine as opposed to a 14-day quarantine because this was, this was rules that came in today, I think. Um, but so it's if, shortened it even now. <laughs> yeah, which, which really seems like it's going Jesus. in the opposite direction to all the numbers of cases that, <sighs> that are going on. Um, the city uh, is... Uh, never um, mind. Yeah, so mm. that, uh, even in the scenario where he, he, he returns a negative test, he still won't have trained with the team for 10 days. So whether he'd be fit, I don't know. Um, well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, if you're asymptomatic, then then you can still like you you you're not just gonna. They're not. I don't think they've old. I mean, ordered them. Like Ashley Young is not asymptomatic. He's got a sore throat, and he was sent home, and that's why they did the test. The others were just done. The tests were just done as part of the routine, and and with them, if they if they're asymptomatic, I think you know that means that they have absolutely nothing showing that they have this uh, that they have any effect of this 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 virus and and therefore you know we don't know if they've been training normally just to keep them going as well i mean we, we don't know that they, they don't reveal this stuff but if you're asymptomatic you i can't imagine they just tell ibrahimovic and nangolan etc to sit on the couch for two weeks like i i just can't see that happening um so we'll have to wait and see but personally i think milan are gonna <laughs> this is this is what zlatan's been waiting for to give it to inter good way the good properly and now he's got a chance when they're weekend and he's playing against kolarov i mean you know i i'm thinking 4-1 like they're he's going really? to have Four yeah I, he's going and i mean think about that <laughs> midfield conte is wow. gonna play conte is gonna play brozovic and ericsson together which we know won't work because they just they're not compatible and so Kessier is going to turn into some sort of peak Viera because of Conte's tactics. So no, I, I I'm really worried about this. I do not. This this is going to end badly, and 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 things that we know that when things go badly at Inter, they spiral quickly out of control. Um. So we'll see. We'll see. I I, I do think Eriksen will start, and I think Brozovic will start, and I think that's an issue because I don't see how Conte has resolved that situation uh, over the past two weeks. He's had other, other bigger fish to fry. I don't think Ericsson will play. I think he'll play Vidal and Barella with Brozovic because it's a big match. And mm. what he did against Lazio, I hope so. He took I hope a couple so. of the you know palleggiatori um, in that match <laughs> because he wanted a bit more muscle and bite. Um, but we'll see. I think it would be it would be. Uh, I think he would deem that a, a rather strange risk taking the match this big, having um, having just pres- not played Ericsson against Lazio when, in mm. his opinion, Inter played a great match. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you added that. Um, in his opinion, right? Um, let's uh, let's uh, move on to the part of the show where we pay tribute, rip piss out of, and criticize someone or something uh, in the world of football. Heavily starting with the negativity this week's moji, which we presented by Mr. Alex Dono.
Nima, I'm going to steal the word that you used for this Moji. The Moji goes to the asterisk, right? The Moji <laughs> goes to COVID-19 and the situation that Inter are in. And of course, on a much grander scale, I mean, this is infecting the entire world, the entire city. Ah, but if I'm going to look at it in the microscope, going into a Milan derby, potentially without Bastoni. I know we discussed the possibility that maybe he gets cleared, but I'm going to assume there's no Bastoni, no Skriniar, no Gagliardini, no Nangolan, no Radu, your backup keeper, and, and no Ashley Young, who was the most recent positive, that uh, this is not going to be the derby we hoped for. This is not going to be the derby we expected. God willing, Inter can still grind out a result or, or even a victory but uh you know th this pandemic has been uh, affecting people's lives mm. in, in many more serious ways than this but uh but this of course being the hand that inter is dealt heading into this game yeah 2020 is the moji <laughs> yes <laughs> this entire year can just do one right um let's uh, move on to something much more comical this week's uh frog which will be presented by mr william beckman yeah, I feel bad to rain on this man's parade because he's had such a good start to the season. Um, but I think I'm going to give this frog this week to Carlo Ancelotti, um, who is uh, currently top of the Premier League with Everton, which I don't think anyone had predicted at the start of the season, having signed James Rodriguez and Alan and um, uh, got everything uh, bubbling along very nicely after a difficult start last year but um he's uh, he's been rather um hung out to dry by fifa 21 i don't know if you, you guys have seen this um no. he, the fifa 21 was released um in uh, on friday i think uh, at least it was here in the uk and the basically ancelotti on this game looks absolutely nothing like <laughs> carlo ancelotti and i will obviously this isn't going to be very useful for, for listeners but it is going far i'm going to send it to our um, our chat now, so at least you know that what we're what I'm actually getting at here. He basically, I don't know if um, anyone's heard of Paul Hollywood, but he either looks like Paul Hollywood, who does the who's the the baker who does the Bake Off here in the UK, or he's uh, he looks like a sort of uh, um, a bouncer <laughs> in a nightclub. Um, oh my god, I've got the photo now. Um, <laughs> sort of, he looks like a Russian spy from a movie, like a 1980s movie, if you ask me. Yeah, uh, some, a couple of other shouts on Twitter were. Um, uh, a mix between Sam Allardyce and Steve Bruce. I was going to say, he looks like big Sam Allardyce. <laughs> yeah, which is really the ultimate insult for right? who's chopped of the Premier League with, with a lot of, uh, of expensive players that he's brought from overseas. I mean, I can't, I don't know how they do these things. It must, like, I'm not a graphic designer or whatever, or an illustrator or anything, but <laughs> I can't imagine that that's the best impression of Ancelotti they could have got for their game. You know, the most famous football game that there is, you know, on the planet he looks he looks like he's about he's sort of being strangled by his own shirt yes the thing i mean he look that's exactly what i was going to say it looks like the shirt is buttoned so tight that his head is about to explode because <laughs> he can't get any oxygen it looks horrible it looks absolutely horrible yeah yeah, yeah that's that's so, not very, you no. know uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Carlo. <laughs> Poor Carlo. Right, uh, let's move on to something much more positive. This week's Moratti, which we presented by Mr. Positivity, Mr. Mystic Monasa. He works a lot, he's intelligent, and 
we surprise uh, people sometimes with these uh, ideas. Not easy to find one person of this uh, qualities. Yeah, look, it's uh, again another week of uh, slim pickings for uh, for Murati. <laughs> so honestly, I'm just going to go with uh, the fact that it's a derby week. Uh, it's mm. a derby week, and it, these derbies just keep uh, seem like they uh, matter more and more and more after like many many banter years. And and now we've got a real uh, hopefully, I mean, you know, uh, we know we've spoken extensively about uh, the potential for uh, for circumstances uh, throwing a spanner in the works, but. Uh, this is uh, the Derby, guys, and it's a Derby. So your message of positivity for Nima is, don't worry, we're going to lose 4-1 this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, better, it's better than not uh, losing 4-1. Grating the barrel. <laughs> we thought we used to struggle for Moratti's before this year. Yeah. Wow. No, this this year has been this is, this has been special. The so Mod, so Morati of the week is Kolarov versus Ibrahimovic. <laughs> Jesus Christ! That's yeah. That's uh, next week's uh, Modji for sure. Yeah, that's, that's next week's Modji for sure. Yeah. yeah no. No. Let, let's not. You know. Let's not go too negative. But 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 seriously, I I am worried about this. I I really see. Milan really, really seeing their chance to give it to Inter good this time. And that's why I'm worried um, more than anything. And and also because Inter are in the situation they're in. And also because Conte has not had any time to work with his players. Um, most of them return on Thursday. The game is on Saturday. So, you know, with, between jet lagging when you're flying to South America and, and, and all that stuff for, for players like Arturo Vidal, who I think is going to be incredibly important. That's why I, was, that's why I think... Raja Nangolan was so important going into this game, but you know, we'll see. We'll I, see. I wouldn't have wanted to be the man who told Conte about these positive tests. Torrealza de Sera this week, uh, this morning, said that he was in fibrillazione and he's fibrillating with, with uh, he's, in a, he's in a frenzy, Conte. And I could imagine him pacing around his room as, as the test results came out. Um, I mean, but it, I saw somebody say, like, that I mean, it, you know, as a joke, obviously not seriously, but that, that this was um, this was uh, Conte's own fault for saying at the beginning of the season that he had all his players available yeah. and everyone was he jinxed the crap out of himself, <laughs> but um, <laughs> by saying that that no one's injured and he's got everyone available to him. But I mean, no, no, I mean, we'll we'll, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. Uh, another person I can't remember who it was. I think it was Daniel Amari on FC Inter 1908 who said that he has absolutely no doubt in his mind. That Inter will go into this game with nine yeah. cases. <laughs> because if you have ten, you're allowed that's to. That's exactly. That, that, that's that's peak Inter. Be, <laughs> like, so we need we need Handanovic, Lukaku, and Barella with the next three, and we'll have exactly. nine cases. Pardelli in goal. Pardelli, because we're adding as well. Yeah. Pardelli and Pinamonti to lead us to victory. Oh my God. Oh dear Lord. But remember the derby is the Morati of the week, guys. So it's yes. all. <laughs> oh my well, well, you put it that way, Will. <laughs> Will just took a dump on everyone's life. <laughs> Love it. No, right. no, we're gonna win. We're gonna win. <laughs> right. Well, we'll we'll leave that to to where it is. Uh, I want to thank Alex Dono, uh, Matteo Bonetti, uh, Mr. Mohamed Nassar, and William Beckman for for this week. Uh, I'm hoping to. To be, to, we we will be back next week, but I hope that when we return, it will be a derby win and three points, uh, and sempre e solo forza Inter. <laughs> <laughs>